Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. So we are continuing today on the Lifescape series. Now, uh, it's sort of funny because when you have kids, you sometimes, you sometimes recognize some of your sort of Lifescape in them. A little bit of the, uh, uh, I had a moment yesterday where a little bit of a, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree sort of moment. Uh, it sort of fell on my head. Uh, and we were, it was, uh, it's Nathan's birthday on, uh, on Friday. So we decided to go to St. Andrews. He loves going to aquariums. So we went to the aquarium there and it was a beautiful day and it was very vibrant. You know, we were right down where the, the golf course is and there was loads of rich Americans playing golf and uh, no Scots, obviously. There were uh, lots of... Uh, uh, wealthy students walking around in sort of uh, top hats and uh, bows and things like that. Uh, they, were, they were all, it was really vibrant. And we went down to the, we, we went to the aquarium, we had lunch, we tried to stop the kids running into the road, mainly succeeded. Uh, and then we went down to the beach and we went paddling because it was such a nice day. And it was actually the first time the kids are usually a little bit funny because it's quite cold uh, to go in the water, but they were really up for it today. And my son, Nathan, uh, got in. We, we, we sort of made sure that they sort of had their, I think they had shorts on, so we rolled them up and took off the shoes, just made sure everything was going to be fine. We're just going to go for a little paddle, very similar to I remember doing myself as a, as a boy, and, and much like I remember myself doing boy, and, and, and my mother reminded me of this because she was there. Uh, Nathan, about two minutes in, came out completely soaking wet. <laughs> completely soaking wet, like top to, top to tail. Every single part of him was soaking wet, and he's, and he's sort of running around going, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and uh, Laura, who'd been feeding uh, Alice, sort of came down to the beach, and just seeing him flopping around in the water, imagining him drowning. And so she's screaming, get in, get in, get in, get in, he's going to drown. So I like, picked him up, and it was okay, it was so fine. But he came out, he didn't want to go back in the water, so, but he was soaking wet by this point and we'd only been there five minutes so uh, and now he's flopping around on the sand and getting himself covered in covered in sand uh, sticking to him like glue and like oh yeah this, this seems very familiar <laughs> and so we took off we took off all of his clothes because he was getting cold and I had a I had a hoodie on so we put the hoodie on him the hoodie sort of went down to about there on him. The arms sort of flopped like that. And we, he pulled the hood up, so the hood up was like that. And we, he sat around there, and uh, later on, we, we left, and he, he didn't have any dry clothes. So he just had to walk along the, the promenade like that. And I looked at him, and I was like, oh, my goodness, you look so like E.T. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and he was cold. He's like, go home, go home. <laughs> Little skinny legs sticking out there. Go home. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's like, wow, the apple really doesn't fall too far from the tree. Um, I've got a fun life ahead of you, son. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, I mean, you, you, the, your lifescape, it's, the, uh, it's that sort of idea that over the passage of time, your, your life begins to take that sort of definition. We all start at sort of roughly the same point. We might have different circumstances, but essentially at day one, all are, all are relatively equal. Uh, in, in, uh, obviously not 100%, but, but, but we all kind of start at age zero. 
Let's put it like that. We all start at age zero, and, uh, and our journeys sort of diverge from that point forwards. They all go in different places from that point forwards. And, and, and as time passes, our lives begin to take definition. They take shape. They form uh, our strengths stand proud against the, uh, against the skyline like a mountain. Our weaknesses cut like ravines, and we're always worried we're going to fall into them. You know, they, they, our, our lives take a form. They take like a landscape. Uh, when, when, we, when we leave those things unchecked, when we just find ourselves constantly sort of leaning upon our strengths and, 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 and sort of forsaking any weakness, uh, we become somewhat sort of imbalanced in ourselves. Uh, we... we uh, we, we, we leave ourselves sort of leaning only on our strengths. And that makes us sort of brittle towards sort of the adaptation that is necessary in life. It is so important through all the different stages of life that we learn to adapt, we learn to change. And, and, and when we sort of see our landscape, it's so tempting to rest upon the strengths. But the weaknesses are often the things that cap us. It's the weakness or our response to our weakness, our interaction with our weakness, is really what, uh, what, what, what puts a cap upon our life, which puts upon the capacity of our life. So we are architects of our own lives. We are architects of our own lives. The promises of God do not transpire on their own. They are promises of God, but they do not transpire on their own. The principles of God are ineffective when we do not build upon them. They are are amazing principles. They are the greatest principles of life, and yet they are utterly ineffective if you do not build upon them. Those promises, if we do not apply them in our lives. And we are, we are often so oblivious to the terrain in which we are cultivating. We, 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 we sort of subconsciously sort of go through life, but actually there's so much significance to the different inclinations of our lives. That's how our, our lifescape is formed, and it, and it shapes the landscape of our lives. And so during this series, we're looking to, to find ways to deliberately craft the narrative of our lives. We're looking to deliberately craft them. Not that it be just happened by accident, that we look back upon our lives and wonder, how did that happen? How did we get here? Why is that a strength and that a weakness? Why have I never been able to get to where I want to get to? Let's change that. Let's shine a light on it during this season, during this series, and begin to deliberately craft that, deliberately cultivate that, deliberately mold that. If there are principles, let's build upon them. If there are promises, let's draw upon them. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So, uh, I'm going to read to you now from uh, Romans 12, verse 1 to 8. Uh, this is our, our core text. This is, this is where the whole series is sort of finding its inspiration. And uh, so I will uh, start. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in administering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And I want to focus this day, uh, this message uh, upon Really a bit of a dynamic that goes on there where it says we are many members in one body. But it says also we are individually members of one another. We are all a part of a wider body. We are all a part of the body of Christ. But we are also individually members of one another. And how does that, how does that work? You're talking big picture, small picture. How does, the, how does that relate to one another? How does that talk about the lifescape of us, of our, of our interaction with church, our interaction with our locality, our community? See, there's a, there's a rationale that there is there's sort of company in a cl- crowd. There's, there's com- you're surrounded by people, so there's company, right? But a crowd lacks relationship. It, it, that's, it, you might be surrounded by people, but it doesn't mean that you have a relationship with those people. And, and so therefore it gives no reassurance against loneliness. You can be lonely in a crowd. You can be, I, I, I heard someone say once that, that, that London, which is one of the most densely populated places, certainly in the UK, certainly it would be up there in the world. And yet there is huge amounts of loneliness because people live these isolated lives. That, that you can be lonely in a crowd. But the body of Christ is not a crowd because we are all a part of some although we are a part of something large and sprawling and dynamic and growing on a personal level we are intertwined in a more intimate community there's there's something intimate about what we do we are we are individually members to one another we are we are relation to one another we are not one in a crowd we are not a cog in a machine but we are individually connected to one another as such, we are not alone. And that is the title of my message today, Not Alone. We are not alone. We are a part of something constantly sort of evolving, an, organi- uh, an organism where that interaction and contribution of our lives pumps life through that body. It pumps life into the arteries of that body. Our lives, our contribution, our collaboration is what makes the body live and breathe. But that verse, that verse I spoke of, it, it, it's, it's seasoned by this responsibility upon us to minister in our giftings. It's, it's not just a case that, that, that this is, this is uh, how our relationship works. There is, a, there is like an obligation, there is a responsibility upon us because God has put giftings upon us. God has put things upon our lives, abilities, talents, callings, just a grace upon us in various ways. It is the glue that binds us to a common purpose. It is because the commonality of it is, although the gift is different, it all comes from the same place and it's all done for the same purpose. It's, the, it's an outward expression before God of, of his power and his majesty. And it is, it is the grace that, uh, that, to change that which is around us. And, and it's when the church 
finds, the church discovers its impetus. It, it gets upon that sort of roll of momentum when the, when the, when the members <laughs> are engaged and empowered to minister that which God has deposited within them. <coughs> now, there's this sort of theory in economics. Uh, it, gets, it gets sort of applied to sports quite a lot, but, but economics in the sense of population and, 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 and how it sort of works, uh, or called capitalization. And capitalization is, simply put, the measure of success that a population has in harnessing talent within a particular field. So, it's how, so, so an example of that would be the uh, Jamaica. Jamaica, which is only a population of like 3 million people, which is smaller than, smaller than uh, Scotland, Scotland, smaller than Scotland. Yeah, that's where we live. Uh, <laughs> they have one of the highest capitalization rates for uh, athletics. If you think about all of the elite runners in the world today and in the past, how many of them are Jamaican? A huge amount of them are Jamaican. One of the greatest runners of the world is Jamaican and Usain Bolt. But, but beyond that, actually, even in other countries from Jamaican descent, like Carl Lewis, who, was, uh, who ran for Canada, he was of Jamaican descent. There's, and that's not by accident. It's not like there's some genetic... I mean, I'm sure genetically they are predisposed to running really fast. But, but they also do it deliberately because every single school in Jamaica, every single school has an athletics program. And if you show, and so every kid does athletics, every kid runs. And if you run in like 10 seconds, they start putting you through. They start propelling you through a program and a process. They do not miss out on anyone. I would imagine hardly a single person who would have that ability that would be predisposed to running and, and athletics and, and track and field would be missed in that program. One, it's advantage of being a small nation. So they, they are able to sort of be able to hold on to them. Uh, but, but also, they do it deliberately. They deliberately make sure that they capture all of the people that are, that are in that program so that they make sure they capitalize on the talent that they have, and it starts at a really young age. But, but one of the things that this, this, this thing of capitalization or high capitalization that makes it successful is, is you need to have advocates. Now, in sports, that's typically put down as like a talent scout, be somebody who spots them. But an advocate is so much more than that. It's not just someone who spots talent. It's somebody who spots talent and then sort of nurtures it and make sure that it gets put into sort of elite training systems. It makes sure that, that it is made the most of. It's not enough just to spot somebody who runs fast. You have to then exploit that talent to the most, to the fullest, to its completest. And so they have these advocates. It requires an advocate to take somebody who is raw and refine them into someone who is elite, who is high level. That is what will happen with every sort of top athlete in the world. And I have to be honest, I think I myself is a little bit of an advocate. I, as some of you will know, I have uh, thousands of children. No, uh, <laughs> it feels like thousands of children. Sorry, it is only four. But I think in this day and age, four is quite a lot. Four is a decent amount, right? Now, I know there are people here. I know there's some people. Yeah, yeah, amen, brother. <laughs> now, there are people here who have five, probably, or, or maybe are one of five. But, but most people don't. And so... I mean, I think that my, there was a time where people would be surprised that I had so many children, but uh, I think that my grey hair and haggard expression is somewhat betraying my decline. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, I've chosen to think of it in slightly different ways. I now 
control a greater percentage of the untapped potential of this population. Yeah. <laughs> some of you guys, some of you guys aren't even, you're barely playing this game of sports. You've got one child, <laughs> two children. Man alive, that's a mugs game, that. I got four. I just need to hit gold on one of them. <laughs> just one of them. If I have one of them, that is exceptional at anything. It pays for the whole enterprise. <laughs> whole thing becomes worthwhile. You hear about these top-level athletes and, they, and how their, their families hold them back and sponge off them. I hope we're one of those families. <laughs> be the noose around their neck. It's all right. The other three can be dumb or useless. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Just as long as one of them's good at something. Something that pays. I'm an advocate. I'm looking for it. And we are, as parents, we often are. Most parents are. They, they look for anything. They, they look for any sort of intangible. It's like, oh, child just said, whoa. It sounded like a word. They're three and a half. It's amazing. It's like, oh, my child's walking. It's like, oh, every child walks eventually. But we are all, we're all looking for it. It's like, oh, we want to find that thing, that intangible. We want to be advocates. As parents, we're advocates for our children. We want our children to do well. We want them to be developed in, in, in a way that is uh, reflective of their potential. You know, that's, we are advocates. That's, that's what I mean when I talk about it. We are advocates. We are looking to harness the potential within our locality, within our population, within our church. Yeah. Amen? And so when it comes to realizing that potential which God has placed within us, church represents the perfect setting to develop that talent and put it to work, to, to extract every single ounce of that gift. See, Jesus was the original advocate. He was the original advocate. He was the one who brought us into the house. This is the house. This is the place where we are trained, where we are developed, where we are loved, where we are nurtured. And it was Jesus who founded that. This is his house. His name is on the board outside. Or it's underneath the board, which is on the board outside. You have to look really carefully, but it's there somewhere. God's name, Jesus' name. Jesus is the original advocate. And as members of a house, we have a responsibility to advocate for one another. Remember I said individually members of one another. And bring the, the unsaved, that they may, they may begin to understand the magnificence of what God has placed within them. It's our responsibility to, to, to recognize, to encourage, to promote those gifts within one another. It says in Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That is our role. The, the body of Christ is required to exhort and to capitalize the resources which God has prepared. He has prepared those. And so when it... And this comes into sort of stark focus. This comes straight into the focus of the church when, when the church is beginning to transition into a different phase of maturity. The churches go through different phases, different seasons where, where you might be, and it's easy to sort of look at it from a point of view of a numbers point of view. That there would be a certain amount of numbers and then, and then there's sort of a change and a shift and a new season and then, and then numbers might swell. And, but then it's what happens then. See, churches traditionally struggle with that human resources required to sustain growth and expansion. And why, why is that? Because we often characterize it as, as lack. We, we say, well, you know, we don't, 
we can't, we can't get to the next stage because we don't have enough money or we don't have enough space or we don't have enough visitors or we aren't getting the recognition that we need in the, in, in the locality. We, we find these reasons of lack, these reasons to uh, say, well, we can't, we're not getting there because, because of this. And we've got there because of this, this sort of very committed segment of the church. Some churches have, have a high proportion of, of, of volunteers that, 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 that contribute in that way and some don't. But, but when you go to that next level, when, you, when a church expands to that next level, that you cannot just rely upon the same segment, upon the same section of the church. That segment, that, 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 that base needs to grow in line with the church. And, and it needs to be reproduced on a larger scale. In the secular world, in those sorts of growth, you would, you would purchase the skills required to augment your organization. You, you would just purchase, just buy them. It's, oh, well, we need, we need a planner. We don't have one anymore. We've never needed one before. We're going to get one now. But in church, it doesn't really work like that because expertise is really only one side of it. You, you cannot get the traction to minister without, uh, without a relationship without intimacy, without that trust. You can't, it's great to have gifts, it's great to have ability, but, but you cannot get the traction, you cannot get the uh, authenticity to be able to utilize that gift without, without that, uh, that relationship. You need to be a part of something. You can't just be a contractor. You can't be contracted, you can't contract in expertise. The expertise needs to be within the house. It needs to be a part of the house. It needs to be nurtured within the house, developed within the house can't just bring that stuff in and that and the truth is that that god has god has supplied all the need, all the resources we need for growth he's he's brought them in and they they are in within this building right now they are in within the the wider community of this church everything that this church needs anything that any church needs god has already supplied it might be that that we want it to be supplied in the form of of money or 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 or, or, or other more tangible things but but what god has given us is sufficient it is sufficient to raise the church to that next level of threshold of, of influence. The, the issue is, is, is not what we don't have. It's how successfully harness what we do have. Amen. I want to take you to an example in the Bible where, where this was really pronounced, where, they, where, where the nation of Israel that was wandering around in the wilderness, it had reached this sort of point of critical mass. And it was Moses was in charge and Moses was, uh, was, was sort of, was the leader in, in, in sort of every way. He sat as judge over the, the nation of, of Israel. And he sort of hooked up one time with his father-in-law. And his father-in-law, Jethro, was an incredibly influential man in his life. Uh, just somebody who, who he respected, somebody he'd worked for, somebody who'd really been uh, such a formative part of his, his early life and his early, early ministry. And had been an encourager. And uh, it says in Exodus uh, 18, 13 to 23... The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, you are, What you are doing is not good. 
you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But... Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, uh, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do all this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Isn't that interesting? Moses took it all upon his shoulders. He saw, and and you, it's the sort of thing that you could see would just happen naturally because you just keep doing what worked before, right? But, but as things swell, as things change, it alters what what you have to do and and he was so caught in the moment so caught in the 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 rigmarole and the and the rigors of just getting up every day he didn't have time to start planning for succession for progression for for even talent spotting he was just getting up every single day working from morning till evening dealing with other people's problems and not recognizing the problem that he had right in front of him and jethro jethro saw just two oversights he said you are burning yourself out you are gonna. The strain is too much for you, and 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 you cannot lead this 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 nation alone. But he also recognised that you are you are denying those deserving of the opportunity to develop their gifts of leadership. See, it wasn't just about you're doing yourself harm. It's like you, in the long term, are going to make your nation weaker. You're not. This this nation will not be able to grow and to swell and to be strong and is influential if it's all about you. Because how long are you going to be able to operate at this level? And how long are the people going to put up with? If you are constantly leading like that, then people get used to being led like that, and people stop thinking about their own gifts and just become relying upon yours. Is that right? You know, in the in the, in the long term. They would have been in a far weaker position. And under, and under those sorts of leaderships, and as I said, those leadership structures, in, whether it be an organization, whether it be a church, whether it be uh, anything, they happen naturally. But, but when you have someone who is so charismatic, that is, that is so, uh, such a dominating force, such, uh, such a strong influence within a nation, within, within a population, it, it seeks to sort of bend the entire nation's identity towards the gifts and the strengths of that person. It becomes, the, the, the nation begins to reflect that person's giftings, that person's, uh, what they bring to the table. It, it, and it becomes about what they are. And, and what, what they, their gifts and their strengths might well be from God, but it is not the full picture of God. See, instead, when you have these, when you have a church that is, that is, sort of organized sophistically where it has a, a structure that promotes and it mentors and it brings through leaders and it promotes those with giftings, then what you end up with is a definition of God that is far more multifaceted. See, God is multifaceted. God is the one who brings teaching, who brings prophecy, who brings wealth, who brings all of those things. And if you have a church where all of those gifts 
are spread out and presented, then someone walking into church for the first time begins to get an understanding of the magnificence of God. Amen? They begin to see, wow, God does this, 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 and this. This is what God is. This answers so many more questions in my life. God has provisioned the church with a nutritious selection of gifts. It's so nice to eat chocolate, but if you ate chocolate every day, man alive, it'll get boring. But God has got this nutritious selection of gifts that, that, that when combined, make a representation of God. It's a healthy representation of God. And those who don't know him begin to get nourished by it, begin to find uh, who he is and, and, and what he has for them in their lives. I have, when I, when I look at this stuff, and I look at like church and I look at, how church sort of interacts with each other, I, I find myself, I have this sort of fascination with, with collaboration. It, I have this real, I don't know where it came from, but I, I just find there's something so interesting about when you have brilliance encountering brilliance and, and the exponential effect it has. It's so much more than the parts. It's so much more than just the individuals. The the uh, advancements are so much more dramatic in a partnership than they are in a solitary venture. The advantages being that you could take an idea and it might be the most brilliant idea, but if you're on your own, you can only go the course that you can go. You can only go with one perspective. But when you start having collaboration, then that brilliance starts getting bounced around and it begins to transform and it begins to mutate and it begins to gather steam and it becomes so much more than just a singular idea but it becomes multifaceted it becomes something that is great and it is life-changing it is a it is so beautiful because it is so much more no one person can take credit for it it becomes a function of the gifting that is within us, a gifting that God has purposely placed within us, a lifescape within a church, a healthy, nutritious environment where ideas can grow, church can grow, people can grow, that the life that God has called us for, we can be called into. And it is so, it's near on impossible to replicate that with a solitary perspective. The personality of churches is a reflection of that that spiritual dynamic. The church that people see from the outside, it's not just the name. The name, after a few moments, is probably the effect is dissipated. But it's the effect of what the church is talking about, the character of the church, the identity of the church. And that is formed by the spiritual dynamic within it. Not just the ones and the twos, but the everybody. If you have a church filled with a few really passionate people, but a lot of indifferent people. The passion's going to be drowned out by the indifference. Someone will see that when they come in. But if you have a church where there is passion, where there is excitement, where there is motivation, where there is a, a, just an excitement to see the things of God, then that is palatable. People come in and, and it seems alive and it draws them in. They get pulled along with the current of that as opposed to stepping out of the, setting out of the stagnant waters. God created a spiritual ecology that requires the participation and involvement of every single one of us. If, I want to go to the, uh, the early church for just a moment. It says in Acts 2, 20, uh, 42 to 44, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the baking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is the bit I want you to hear. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had everything in common. At that time, it was, it was a case of them selling everything and, and sharing what, whatever wealth and money they had, which brought tremendous wealth to the, the church that could then be used to plant and, and, and really finance the Great Commission. But, but today, it's about bringing what God has placed upon the inside of you. That gift upon the inside of you, we all have it in common because I'm a member with you. We are individually members of one another. It's this symbiotic relationship between congregation and member. The the corporate body, the the wider body, is beholden to its members to share their gifts. It it, it depends on people like you and me bringing what God has placed upon the inside to advance it and to have good health. Because it's not healthy just having one or two leading the charge, dragging along the rest. Whereas as a member... I require the body as a, as a platform to explore and to master my giftings, to master the talents upon the inside of me. And when both of those things are being done, both member and church become one and singularly become healthy, come healthy together. I want to just, I'm going to finish up in just a second. I want to just explore one more thought with you. When I talk gift, I haven't really talked specifically, and that's because there's so many, and I believe that probably in each and every one of us that, that we might have what might be categorized as the same gift, but, but how, we, how we work it is probably different, and, and how that sort of works within our lives is probably different. Think of it like this. Each one of us has a core message, something a, think of like a rhythm to our communication that is particular to us. It is, it is something that is unique to us. God has placed a gift within us, not to categorize us, but to give us, give us a voice, to give us a sound, to give us a song, to give us a fragrance, to give us something that differentiates ourselves from the world outside, which is an expression of excellence, an expression of his majesty. But do we always deliver that message? Or do we stay silent? I've, uh, I've sat in meetings at work. I've sat in meetings in various different sort of organizations and arrangements. And I have these thoughts that go on the inside. And I've sometimes walked into meetings and be like, well, I'm not saying anything because if I say anything, I'm going to end up having to do even more work. We've all been there, right? I'm not saying a word. I don't want anyone to notice me. Walking out here, I've got enough to do. But <laughs> I get there. And someone starts talking nonsense. Or they start saying, oh, we're going to do it this way. I don't know about you. I know that I'm a little bit, I get a bit sort of pent up. But I feel like there's like a little bit like a caged animal on the inside. And, and on the outside, solemn, stoic. Uh, you wouldn't even know I was there. On the inside, I'm like, I got it on the inside. I got a voice that is desperate to get out. Yeah. I got something, a message I have to deliver. Yes. And when I don't do it, I feel so frustrated. I feel so hit up. I don't have any peace. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel as if I'm doing all that what I've been given with. That's what it's like to have a gift and not use it. 
think. Yeah. You know, we, we stand in, I love this, I stand, when we stand in worship, we did it today, do it nearly every time we stand together in worship. But you stand there and, and you sing. And I love it when we do this, it's maybe just a particular to me, but I love it when we, we kind of go in, we don't actually even necessarily sing words because I can't remember any of the words, so I always have to look, so I can really focus in when we're just doing tunes. And we're just like, oh, so I don't have to think about the words, I know it. Oh, and we're all doing it. But every now and again, I'll open my eyes, right? I'll peek to the side. I know you're not meant to do that. And I'll watch around, right? And everyone is like red-faced. And you know what that does? It affirms my faith. It affirms my faith. My faith is emboldened. When I see someone up here leading worship for the first time, that affirms my faith. When I walk into the front door and I see a new person welcoming, that affirms my faith. When I see somebody leading a midweek group for the first time, that affirms my faith. It makes me stronger on the inside because I am not a member on my own. I am not a solitary member. I rely on you. I do this walk with you. We do a walk together. Every single one of us, we walk along this together. It is a joint effort effort. Anyone who says, I'm not alone, I have God. You haven't been reading the Bible. Because you cannot forsake fellowship. You cannot forsake the walk that you do with one another. Amen? We do this together. We are a body. We are not just limbs. Amen? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.